This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation! Give me a golf course. 70 courses! Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? We're watching. Time for chill vibes. Beach yoga. How about a garden tour? Mount Park. Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at sandiego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Hello, and welcome to Food Stuff. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And, uh, okay, we've got a, we've got a pop quiz at the top of the episode here, yeah? Yeah. What is the largest organism on Earth? Actually, you probably knew the answer right away <laughs> based on what we're talking about. Uh-huh. It is a humongous honey fungus. Actually, I, I would not have guessed that just from mushrooms being the title of the episode. That's true. I knew it was a mushroom, but I didn't know it was a honey fungus specifically. That's a different thing. Totally. I Well, it's located in Oregon. It's about 2.4 miles long. What? 3.5 kilometers. And uh, that is one random fact of the episode that you probably already knew. And one other trivia note. A fungus aged 440 million years is currently known as the oldest organism to live on dry land. Huh. Yeah. A scientist said in the Daily Mail article I read about it, it fills an important gap in the evolution of life on land and that it may have kickstarted life on Earth. What? Yeah. As this is a food show, we're going to be talking about edible mushrooms today. Yes. Right. Uh, if you if you want to hear more about the uh, psychedelic varieties, I believe that both uh, stuff you should know and also stuff to blow your mind have episodes about those. I do not doubt it. <laughs> so, okay, mushrooms. What is it? 
I love this quote about them from Edible Mushrooms and Their Creation. Without leaves, without buds, without flowers, yet they form fruit. As a food, as a tonic, as a medicine, the entire creation is precious. Oh, that sounds very lovely. Yeah, and or like a Tolkien, uh, like Gollum <laughs> riddle. Right. Uh, okay, but yeah, so yes, mushrooms are a type of fungus, neither animal nor plant. They breathe oxygen and release carbon dioxide like we do. Uh, they can grow above or in the ground with or without sunlight. They can't photosynthesize. They uh, eat by excreting digestive enzymes and then absorbing nutrients from the compounds that those enzymes break down. But they don't have vascular systems. They they grow similar to the way that plants do, with new cells propagating out from developed cells, uh, each with its own cell wall. But those cell walls contain chitin, like animal cell walls do. Huh? Basically like WTF nature. Mushrooms, what's going on? Right. More specifically, mushrooms are the edible fruit of a larger fungus structure. Uh, mushrooms produce spores that, uh, sort, sort of like seeds, can spread on air or water or moving creatures and grow into a new fungus. Uh, they produce the spores in those kind of gill-looking structures on the underside of the cap. Mm-hmm. When a spore lands in a suitably moist and nutritious area, you know, nice rotting bit of tree or a heap of manure. Ooh. <laughs> I know. Delicious, right? right? Um, it'll germinate and begin radiating new cells outward from its central point. New cells only grow on the tips of the older ones. So left to its own devices, the fungus will usually grow out from the center into this like flat circle of branched threads, which over time can kind of cluster up into ropes. Th- think of like a like a drink coaster made from from lace or, or crocheted doily. Okay. If if your grandmother had those, that's kind of sort of what this this root system of of a of a mushroom oh. looks like. Um, <laughs> like your grandmother's doily. On a slightly larger scale, generally. Um, that, that sort of root system is called a mycelium, and it'll spread out underground or, you know, through whatever growth medium it's working with. And when it's developed enough and the conditions are right, when the stars are right, uh, it'll shoot out fruit, mushrooms, to create spores and begin the life cycle again. By the way, uh, the growth pattern of fungi cells you know, from the tips radiating outward, like I described, is why mushroom fairy circles form. Oh! The mushrooms pop up along the outer edges of the underground circular mycelium. And grass tends to be greener on the inside of these circles than on the outside because the the mycelium is breaking down compounds in the soil, giving the grass that grows above it more available nutrients. I was so into fairy circles when I was a kid. Right? Aren't they great? They're so cute. Yeah. I had a fairy house. Oh, I had yeah. this like little bell to try to attract them. Did you see that movie that they proved the photograph was fake? No. But, okay. <laughs> anyway, point <laughs> being, this was a lovely, unexpected throwback. So if we look at the types of mushrooms that you're likely to find in stores, the button mushroom is the most cultivated, but there are so Many types. More than I realized, technically. Oh, man, me too. You've got truffles. It's probably one of the first ones you foodies thought of. I don't know. <laughs> um, which Brilliat Severin, we've mentioned him before, he named them the diamond in the art of cookery. <laughs> and I had a question. Why truffles be so expensive? I don't know. Well, I do. It's because there's a lot of work involved. <laughs> 
Shuffle foragers use dogs and pigs that are trained to recognize the smell of truffles. And when they find them, a truffle farmer sort of treats it like someone who has found a fossil. Very carefully examining the surroundings, cleaning, and then checking to see if it's ripe. The farmer can't or shouldn't really touch them either because it might make it rot if it isn't ready. Oh, yeah. And they're underground, in case you didn't gather that. Oh, Gather that from what I was (laughs) saying. Oh. (laughs) Truffle aside, you've got portobello, shiitake, cremini, porcini, morels, oyster, button, king trumpet, chanterelles, anoki, cauliflower mushrooms, on and on and on and on. Do you have a favorite type of mushroom, Lauren? Oh, uh, all all of the above. Maybe maybe good good old uh, like baby portobellos. Ooh. Yeah. yeah. Which (laughs) which I guess is sometimes also called crimnies. Yes, I think so. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. There are over 2,000 known species, but it could be way more. And it's generally agreed upon, we haven't found them all. I would say definitely we haven't found them all. Oh, yeah, nah. Yeah. Um, of those, we widely eat only about 25 of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But? But one thing I read from Oxford Research Encyclopedia's cited estimates of up to 5 million, 5 million species of fungi on Earth. The most accepted estimate is 1.5 million. Whew. From that, scientists suspect that mushrooms would make up about 160,000 of that number, which means we only know about 10% oh. of them. Wow. And I love this. Using our current discovery rate, it would take about 4,000 years for us to discover them all. That's a lot. Tasty, beautiful, long discovery process. Mm-hmm. Yes. However, important to this show, only about 7,000 of that 160,000 number are believed to be mushrooms that are edible. Oh, okay. Yeah. Important. It's still quite a bit, I would say. Yeah. Okay, so while mushrooms do grow in the wild for something that just grows right on poop, um, industrial mushroom farming is a serious technological undertaking. Farmers create these indoor environments that they can control to best benefit their crops in terms of temperature, humidity, light, growth media, and potential pests. Uh, First, uh, such a farmer might try to create a pure fungal culture for a particular type of mushroom by germinating spores um, on, on agar in vitro, like in dishes and labs, and then culturing the resulting threads in sterilized medium, and then further developing uh, those, those, that, that, that growing fungus in a, in a growth medium and that growth medium thing. All right. So creating the best dirt or, or wood for mushrooms to grow in is a perhaps shockingly complex process. As I was reading the research for it, I, it, it's very specific and very industrial as everything is, but I was just like, Oh, mushrooms, they grow on dirt. Yeah. No, the dirt End of story. The dirt is super specific. Uh, mushroom farmers have always depended on other producers' byproducts to create their growth material. You know, plant and animal waste, uh, composted to perfection. Ooh, delicious. Uh, for mushrooms that grow naturally on trees or logs, like the shiitake, farmers might prepare actual logs or create synthetic logs which are basically bags packed with a mixture of sawdust and then supplements like a wheat bran or spent coffee grounds or powdered corn cobs or on and on. Um, different types of mushrooms bear different enzymes for breaking down specific substances. So lots of different composting material could be used depending on the species that you are growing. This media 
or these media rather, are often kept in blocks, like crates, kind of, with these clear side panels that you can keep track of the growing uh, mycelium. Mm-hmm. And these crates can be stacked into these huge, tall shelving units and then moved into different areas of, of your of your indoor mushroom farm at different stages of development. Uh, part of some mushrooms development involves picking up hormonal cues from nearby fungi. It's sort of like, oh, oh, hey, you're, you're making this type of cell. I'm going to go ahead and make this complementary type of cell. And then they can have beautiful mushroom babies together. Oh, intermushroom communication. Who knew? Not me. Not me. Uh, so, yeah, it, it can be really important to be able to move these crates. Um, these crates or blocks of media plus mycelium are sometimes called spawn in the industry, by the way. Spawn. Yeah. They probably each have really awesome little capes. (laughs) I don't know enough about the horror movie Spawn to make a joke about it. (laughs) But there's some joke there. Somebody write it for us, please. Yeah, write write in and let us know what you got. (laughs) Uh, The the, the resulting mushrooms that um, spawn from the spawn are typically harvested by hand. Like each mushroom is gently twisted and popped from the mycelium and then packed up. Once they get to you, mushrooms are best stored in a paper bag or loosely wrapped in paper towels that are then loosely wrapped in plastic. It's best not to wash them because they soak up moisture and might get all soggy. Mm -hmm. But if that makes you twitchy, you can scrub them with a damp paper towel or rinse quickly with cold water in a colander. That's what I do. I'm very glad to have read this because I always like my mushrooms always get that gross film oh, on the them. Oh, the slimy kind of yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Now I know. Oh, do do you have a favorite type of mushroom? I didn't ask you in return. I do and it is shiitake. Mm-hmm. There's a place in Georgia that uh they're usually at every farmers market, Spartan Ooh. mushrooms. Oh, man. Mm. Mm-mm-mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh and mushrooms are cultivated in over 60 countries. In the year 2000, the top producers were China, the U.S., France, Poland, and the Netherlands. You can find mushrooms in places that otherwise don't have much else growing in parts of Africa and Asia. Asian countries make use of a wider variety of mushrooms accepted for eating. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) In China, they eat up to 700 wild and domesticated varieties. For the French, that number is closer to 200 types. The largest producer of commercial mushrooms, China, produced 28.3 million tons in 2012. That's about 87% of the global market. The industry in China employs 35 million people. Wow. I'm just shaking my head, which is working great on radio, I'm sure. But yes, that's that's gigantic. I love it. Yeah. Worldwide, total mushroom production in 2012 was estimated at 31 million tons, valued at over $20 billion U.S. And mushrooms have been getting more popular in the past few decades, with total global production increasing annually at an average of like 13% every year. During this whole time, uh, crops of the everyday button mushroom have decreased as other varieties have become more popular and available. Yeah. One of the reasons they're so popular is they're used both as a food and a medicinal product. Surprise, surprise. (laughs) Mushrooms are high in protein, fiber, and a whole bunch of nutrients while being low in fat. So they're a pretty good food choice in general. They can be a non-animal source of vitamin D2, which makes them a particularly good choice for vegetarians. And like many foods that we talk about, they have a long 
history of being used as uh, preventatives and remedies for any number of conditions. Various species and extracts of mushrooms are being studied for just all, all kinds of potential benefits, including uh, improving the immune system, improving the gut microbiome, inhibiting the growth of cancer, protecting against neurodegeneration. As usual, though, a research is still preliminary and has not produced solid evidence about any of these benefits yet. Eating mushrooms as part of your diet certainly won't hurt and may help, but talk to a doctor before trying extracts and don't buy into claims, especially like expensive claims, that some particular type of mushroom is going to be a magic fix for whatever issue. Magic mushrooms are a separate thing. I was about to say. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, recently, NPR had a story about um, countries that still use mushrooms medicinally. So if you're interested, you can go, you can go check that out. But in the meantime, we have a lot of history to cover yeah. when it comes to mushrooms. But first, let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach. Give me great food. Tacos. Give me adventure. Hiking. Give me a date night. Sunset cruise. Give me some smiles. Cheese. Give me more beaches. Beaches. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. Humans have been eating mushrooms for a long time. Probably back to prehistoric <laughs> folks and our hunter-gatherer ancestors. This is speculation, but generally agreed upon speculation. Mm -hmm. The world's oldest human mummy, Otzi the Iceman of Brad Pitt tattoo fame, 
about 5,000 years old, had two types of mushrooms on him. Ooh. He was probably using one of them medicinally, and the other was included in a a sort of highly advanced for the time fire starting kit. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, Part of the reason why this is all speculation is that mushrooms don't leave uh, fossil evidence, or or not fossil, they, they don't leave evidence the way that a lot of other vegetative systems do. Yes. But by the Neolithic times, fungi were used to make mead and other fermented beverages like beer or wine. Mushroom mead. I want to drink that immediately. Mushroom mead. New cocktail hour. (laughs) Yes. Similarly, analysis of yeast residue in drinking and or brewing vessels in ancient Egypt seemed to indicate that, whether accidentally or on purpose, Fungi were used in beer and winemaking as far back as 3,650 BCE. Some of this evidence was found in the tomb of a queen containing a jar of beer. (laughs) Hieroglyphs from around that time called mushrooms a plant of immortality. Because of this, they were largely reserved for royalty. We don't need our our poor people being immortal along with us. No, no. Other things I read about beliefs pinned to mushrooms labeled them as granting superhuman strength, like Super Mario. Oh, man. Do you think that's where they got it from? I don't think so at all. Probably not, but still. But yeah. That's exciting. Um, <laughs> that they could aid in the search for something lost. Uh, so you eat a mushroom, you're like, aha. Uh, and they could lead your lost soul to the godly realm. Oh. Yeah. Up to 7,000 years ago, the ancient Chinese knew about fungi, but it's more likely they used mushrooms, again, for medicinal purposes rather than food. Some evidence indicates that the Chinese started consuming mushrooms in 900 BCE. A lot of mushroom varieties were first cultivated in China. Certainly by the time the Han Dynasty came along, around 26 BCE, the Book of Songs listed several edible mushrooms. In 199 CE, a Japanese emperor visiting China was offered edible mushrooms as a a welcoming gift. A Chinese physician wrote that the shiitake was the elixir of life Mm. around 1300 to 1600 CE. Dates. So hard to (laughs) pin down. Uh, around the same period, you could find written instructions for cultivating mushrooms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The ancient Greeks used them, I suppose, alongside garlic, to give strength to their warriors. That's delicious strength. Yes. I know. <laughs> You've got mushrooms and garlic. Perfect. Yeah. However, mushroom consumption was not without its problems. Both Euripides and Hippocrates wrote about accidental mushroom poisoning in the 5th century BCE. And at last, we're talking about a food that ancient Romans liked. What? Is it possible? (laughs) Are we in the olive oil episode and I'm just confused? (laughs) They called mushrooms the food of the gods. They even had a designated cooking vessel for them. And the legend goes Agrippa used this vessel to feed poisonous mushrooms to kill her husband, Emperor Claudius, to clear the path for her son, Nero. To become Rome's emperor. Uh-huh. Wow. Horace wrote around 65 BCE that they were expensive delicacies. Hmm. And Romans had integrated truffles into their cuisine by the first century CE. My favorite part about it is that they believed that the answer to where do truffles come from was a lightning strike hitting the ground during thunderstorms. 
Wow. That's awesome. That's yeah, that's way more metal than I think it actually is, but great. <laughs> the oldest cookbook we know of, dating back to 3rd century CE, had a handful of recipes using mushrooms. As for Japan, mushrooms appear in text around 720 CE, referring to much earlier encounters with mushrooms like the one in China mentioned above. Jumping, jumping way <laughs> ahead to the 16th century, 250 verses had been composed about mushrooms and mushroom gathering. <laughs> the way these mushrooms were being cultivated, by the way, was on rotting logs. In the case of ancient Rome and Greece, they used slices of poplar tree trunk. This kind of reminds me of those mushrooms. Did you do this as a kid that would grow on the logs and you'd stomp on them and the, like that fog would come out? No. Was I doing something I potentially deadly? Well, I, <laughs> I mean, I I would do it to create dramatic effect in the stories, and I was telling to no one in the woods but myself. I, I grew up in, in Ohio, so so we might have had a different mushroom culture. You didn't have yeah. the smoky mushrooms. Okay. All right. Well, back to history. <laughs> Records show that the Vikings and Siberian shamans used hallucinogenic mushrooms in religious ceremonies circa 1000 CE. And at least 1,000 years ago, records exist that several types of fungi, including truffles, were being eaten in North Africa. When the Spanish arrived to Mexico in the 16th century, they wrote that the Aztecs used a mushroom, the name of which translated to God's flesh. A book by an herbalist in 1552 noted the Mayans used the same mushroom for pain management. Huh. Hmm. Some surviving Mayan manuscripts depicted mushrooms as sacred. That same mushroom, God's flesh, later pops up in Bernardino de Sahagún's 16th century book, General History of the Things in New Spain, as a hallucinogenic employed by the Aztecs. He wrote that it incited lechery. <laughs> Goodness. I know. <laughs> the first reference book dedicated to mushrooms came out around this time as well. And if we're talking straight-up mushroom cultivation, we've got to talk about the French. Oh, of course. Yes, 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 yes. Renaissance-era France enjoyed truffles in their food, sometimes pickled or in sauces, or served with butter. Mm. Hmm. I know you're wondering, and yes, they were seen as an aphrodisiac. <laughs> Question answered. Louis the Fourteenth and Napoleon adored them. Louis the Thirteenth of France had a habit of running a string through mushrooms and hanging them in his room because he loved them so much. He okay. wanted the smell. Ah, all yeah. Right. At first, I was confused too. Yeah, I was like, Decor? I, I guess they're pretty. Them. Sure, right. No, it was for the smell, and he would just like grab one, pop it in his <laughs> mouth, and go. They even had a way of transplanting them by use, by being super careful when handling and moving them. France exported mushrooms to England beginning with the 18th century, and the English also used horse manure, which I should have mentioned, that's what the French were doing, mm -hmm. um, in their mushroom cultivation. But they went a step further by stacking and composting the manure. Yeah, so similar to what we do today. Oh, yeah. The word mushroom itself probably comes from uh, an old French word, mousseron, from the early 15th century, which may itself have been borrowed from the Latin word musterio, but we don't know what that means, apparently. It might just mean mushroom. It might just be a label for, hey, that thing. 
Mushroom. <laughs> I love it. It could be this word, and we don't know exactly <laughs> what it means. I love this, too. In the 18th century, Voltaire wrote, a dish of mushrooms changed the destiny of Europe. What? Yes. He was referring to the 1740 death of the Holy Roman, Roman Emperor Charles VI. The death cap mushroom was and is thought to be the culprit of his demise. And in the wake of it came the War of Austrian Succession. Half a death cap is toxic enough to kill a grown human. Cooking does not reduce the toxicity, and they look like other mushrooms you can eat. So look out. I, do, do not eat mushrooms that you find in the wild unless you are an absolute expert in not dying from eating mushrooms that you have found in the wild. More more on that later, but... Words to live by. Yes, just wanted to put it in here now in case for some reason you stop listening to this episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, hey, I'm yeah. going to go outside, <laughs> see if I can find some <laughs> mushrooms. No. Uh, so that's mushrooms in Europe and Asia. But what about mushrooms in the U.S.? Hmm. Well, we'll tell you all about it after one last quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Let's hit it! Give me a vacation! Vacation! Give me a wave! Surfing! Give me a city tour! The trolley! Give me animals! The zoo! Give me some sea life! <laughs> Give me museums! Park. Give me a woo! What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at sandiego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. So it took a minute. <laughs> for America to start using mushrooms, like cooking-wise specifically. 
And actually, at first, they were mostly used in those recipes we talked about in the ketchup episode. Yeah, in condiment-type recipes. Yes. Uh, this could be because a lot of cookbooks available at the time warned that some mushrooms were, quote, very poisonous, but didn't really give any clarification on which ones. That would keep me away from them as well. Yep. However, once France got a handle on mushroom cultivation in the 1870s, America wanted to emulate their cuisine and we were all about some mushrooms by the 1890s, wonderfully called by some sources a fungus frenzy. They became a bit of a fad. One might join a mushrooming club. <laughs> I would join a mushrooming club. Heck yeah. Info on recognizing mushroom types and how to cook them was published to help Americans understand and utilize this new, to them, ingredient. An entire cookbook devoted to mushroom recipes, was published in 1899. The foreword read thusly. The general opinion in this country regarding mushrooms has been that with one or two exceptions, all forms of fungus growth are either poisonous or unwholesome. Unwholesome. But it is very gratifying <laughs> to observe the change that is rapidly taking place in the public mind. Soon, public opinion will acknowledge that it is an established fact that the great majority of the larger funguses, especially of those that grow in fields and other open places, is not only wholesome, but highly nutritious. Highly nutritious. Mm -hmm. As mushrooms were catching on in the U.S., truffle demand was skyrocketing in France. The demand and the price tripled. Up until about this point, mushroom spawn, that, that root-like mycelium system that mushrooms grow from, was collected from wild-growing specimen rather than grown, like, farmed purposefully. But in 1894, two French scientists at the Pasteur in Institute developed the first pure culture spawn from spores they germinated in labs and grew in sterile horse manure. Sterile horse manure. I know, right? Mm -hmm. By 1902, a method for creating pure culture spawn had been published, and folks in the industry started working with it to develop lots of different particular strains. In the United States, one of the big players was Lambert's American Spawn Company. It's a great name for a company. It is. And was marketing uh, seven distinct pure strains of button mushrooms by 1907. They would move from Minnesota to Pennsylvania around 1915, uh, which was the established heart of the American mushroom industry. Yes. The 1930 U.S. Census listed 516 mushroom cultivators and 350 were in Chester County, Pennsylvania. 1930 was the same year that the Mushroom Growers Cooperative Association was founded. Pennsylvania State University would later get in the game researching ways for mushroom growers to increase productivity. One of the inventions out of Penn State was mushroom spawn grown with grain instead of manure. Chester County is also home to the American Mushroom Institute, the first meeting of which took place on December 4th, 1941. Oh, bad timing. Mm. But after World War II, they started doing everything they could to promote mushrooms. Ads in TV, radio, newspaper, magazine. Meanwhile, some of these uh, uh, culture spawn companies were having a direct hand in the growing antibiotic industry because of the uh, because of the development of penicillin. These companies already were working with fungus in labs, and so therefore they were able to help the medical industry create all of these new curatives. So Great. cool. 
In the 1960s, the production of grain-based spawn was further developed into essentially the process that's used today. And this artificial manure can be more nutritionally complete than natural manure. Uh, It can provide better natural structures for the growing fungus and, most importantly, is more easy to scale up industrially than a uh, natural manure. I could see that. Artificial manure, a phrase that I never thought I would be saying out loud. I was so excited. Or even to myself. That's just I had not <laughs> conceived of that phrase. <laughs> well, we're making dreams come true on this podcast. <laughs> From 1981 to 1986, there was a 73.6% increase in mushroom production. What? Yeah. In the 1980s, the New York Times is the first to write about cremini and portobello mushrooms, both of which got a boost from some serious marketing power. Previous to this, the portobello, which wasn't called the portobello and is actually just an adult cremini. Which is an adult white button mushroom. (laughs) Yes. We need to make it chart. Um, it was a hard sell to the American public and generally ended up getting tossed. Oh, no. Farmers didn't like them either. One guy who grew them almost got fired by his boss just for growing them. So marketers changed the name to Portobello, and it went from zero to hero. No sales to 30 million pounds in 1996. What? Mm-hmm. And this is one of my favorite facts of the episode. No one is sure where the name comes from, but the popular story is some... Ads person made it up by coming up by combining the words for beautiful and door, the Italian words, or depending on the spelling, beautiful port. But the portobello mushroom has no agreed upon spelling. What? Yeah. It's mushroom chaos. It is. <laughs> I, I was staring at my computer furiously as if it could give me answers. You're telling me <laughs> if I was in a spelling bee? There are multiple answers. Oh. I think there's four. There's oh my goodness. Four different spellings that people use. Goodness. Mm-hmm. Get 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 your stuff together. Portobello. Portobello. See, you said uh, and I said oh. I my brain cannot grapple with this. It's gonna be okay. All right. Okay. I'm over it. Um are you? No, but I'll put on a brave face. Okay. All right. Um in in, in nineteen ninety. Legislation was submitted to Congress in the United States to create better marketing for for the increasingly valuable mushroom industry. The Mushroom Promotion Research and Consumer Information Act. That is quite the title. This act eventually spawned... Oh, uh, sorry. The, uh, The Mushroom Council, an organization that pulls funds from mushroom producers and uses those funds to promote mushrooms generically. And... If I may quote from their website, because I'm kind of delighted by marketing uh, verbiage, many different venues are used to promote fresh mushrooms to consumers, such as working with professional chefs in developing and promoting new recipes, working with produce department managers to maintain the highest quality mushroom product for customers, and sending out thousands of brochures each year to customers hungry for new mushroom ideas. Thanks to the Mushroom Council, mushrooms have their own month to be honored and eaten. September is National Mushroom Month. National Mushroom Month. National Mushroom Mushroom Month. Yeah, Mushroom Mush. (laughs) All of that. One of their current promotions is called The Blend. Ooh. Uh, It encourages food service industry folks to try blending ground meat with ground mushrooms for products like tacos and meatballs to save money and calories. Oh, I see. And in the 2000s, a research out of Penn State 
demonstrated that growers can increase one form of uh, vitamin D, that vitamin D2, in their mushrooms by subjecting the growing fungus to bursts of UV radiation, thus making their products such a good choice for vegetarians who would otherwise miss out on this nutrient through their diet. It's really only found in meat other than mushrooms that have been exposed to UV radiation. Um, And it's different from uh, vitamin D3, which is the one that our bodies produce from sunlight exposure to the skin. So, yeah. I imagine the Mushroom Council as like a bunch of toads from Mario (laughs) sitting around this round table (laughs) and talking about whether like what type of mushroom they need to promote next. Yeah. Well, there there, there are there are nine council members. I can't. (gasps) (laughs) Oh, my God. I think we've stumbled onto something here, Lauren. <laughs> Does anyone have any pictures of these council members? Hmm. Hmm. Well, we'll put a pin to come back to that later. For now, let's talk about the environment. Yeah. One of the cool things about mushroom farming is that it can be a really great way to put agricultural waste to use instead of having to dump it or burn it. I mean, of course, mushrooms do leave some waste themselves. They don't, like, completely destroy anything that you put in their path. That's a different horror movie entirely, yeah. Um, And industry researchers recently coined the term mycorestoration, meaning uh, uh, using mushrooms' greater fungal structures to help restore damaged environments by filtering toxic waste and microorganisms from the soil or the air, by controlling insect populations, or by just creating more nutrients for plant life. Ah. Well, now you might be thinking, these mushroom things sound pretty cool. Maybe I'll... Let's go go out. Let's go out and get some right now. Let's go full. From the ground. Hold up a minute. (laughs) So, you might have heard a thing or two recently about mushroom foraging. I know it has come up several times around the office here. When we were discussing videos we could do for food stuff, apparently there's a big group in Atlanta that does it. Oh, right, yeah. Yes. And it's this thing where people, sometimes in groups or as part of mushroom clubs, uh, go out and look for edible mushrooms in cities, in the woods, in the backyard, wherever. Um, I feel like it's gotten pretty popular over the past couple of years. Yeah. But this is not something you should just pick up. Um, You need to be informed about the mushrooms in your area. Really informed. Yes. Uh, If this is something you're interested in, totally pursue it. Uh, see if there's a club or a mycologist in your area, but do not do this just looking at your phone like, oh, this looks like this mushroom here. I think I can eat it. No, 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 no. Because some some things that look like little harmless white button mushrooms will kill you. Yes. So don't do that. It is dangerous. Um, they, there are several, when I was looking into this, there are several that look like kinds that you can't eat, that yeah. you cannot eat. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, if you're just looking at picking them up, I don't know. I don't know if, why if you're you just doing wanna, that. If you just want to find them, if you just want to like poke them, yeah, that's fine. But if you're planning it. on eating them, yeah, take precaution. Uh, because if you're asking yourself if there's a way to tell if a mushroom is poisonous, no, nah. nope. Unless you're 100 percent beyond a shadow of a shadow of a doubt, know what you're doing. Don't eat a strange mushroom. Further, yeah, a lot of anecdotal rules about the mushrooms you can and cannot eat are not true. So, yeah, no. Uh, I love this. I don't know if it's true, but um, according to some things I read on the Internet, there's an adage out of um, the Czech Republic saying that goes, every mushroom is edible, but some only once. (laughs) 
Sounds like something my dad would say. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm. And, uh, yeah, that's that's our story of mushrooms. The story of mushrooms. Our mushroom episode. Mm-hmm. And it brings us to... Listener. <laughs> Miranda wrote, <laughs> After high school, I went to the United States Coast Guard Academy. Every year we had ship navigation classes where we learned how to safely drive and navigate a ship from the bridge through the use of a full room simulator. The first day of my junior year, a friend of mine was eating a banana before the class was about to start. When the instructor, who was a former Coast Guard cutter commanding officer, walked in and saw the banana, he yelled, No bananas on the bridge! and kicked my friend out of the simulator. (laughs) (laughs) He proceeded to tell us that bananas were considered bad luck on ships and to never bring them to class unless we wanted to fail. Wow. Fast forward to the end of the semester and one of our simulated voyages was going terribly. No one could figure out what was wrong and why our navigation was so off the mark. At the end of class, the same friend opened his book bag and had a horrified look on his face. We asked him what was wrong and he pulled out a banana from his bag <laughs> that he had forgotten about. We figured out why our simulation went awry, and we all had a good laugh about it. <laughs> I did not realize bananas were such bad luck. Yeah, yeah. Um, Aaron wrote in about our cupcake episode. As a child growing up in Panama City, Florida, we would often go to a family friend's cupcake shop downtown. They sold massive cupcakes in all sorts of flavors, one of my favorites being pickle cupcakes. I will never forget the day our friends at the shop told us about their new addition. I capitalized on the look of horror on my mother's face, even hearing the words, and asked for one just to watch her cringe even more as I ate it. What I had planned as a necessary evil just to mess with her turned into a love for this odd combination. Something about the sour and sweet mix made for a unique cupcake that kept me coming back for years. If anyone has ever run across one of these and turned it down, they should definitely rethink that decision. Oh, and this this email came in on the day that I had just come across a recipe for pickle cupcakes. Oh, really? Yeah. So so maybe maybe we need to. Yeah, I have a friend who um, she loves the combination of chocolate cake and pickles. And whenever okay. she has it uh, in public or around someone that doesn't know her very well, they always ask if she's pregnant. Or, like, on her period or, or something. Right, right, yeah. Like, you can't just, like, yeah, the combination. Yeah. Clearly some girl thing is wrong with you. <laughs> exactly. <sighs> but, yeah, yeah, but thank you all so much for writing in. Yes, um, and if you would like to write in, you can do so. Tell us what your favorite mushroom is. Yeah. Our email address is foodstuff at howstuffworks.com. We're also on social media. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook at foodstuffhsw. We're also on Instagram at foodstuff. We hope to hear from you. Thank you to our amazing producer, Dylan Fagan. Thanks to y'all for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. 
And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Let's hit it! Give me a vacation! Vacation! Give me a wave! Surfing! Give me a city tour! The trolley! Give me animals! The zoo! Give me some sea life! <laughs> Give me museums! Park. Give me a woo! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cash back on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.